Thank you for tuning your hearts in for another episode of the Hearts Rise Up podcast. I'm Carol Chapman, your host, along with my co-hosts, Ann Sari and Conchetta Antonelli. We share our own personal experiences, tips, and strategies, along with powerful stories and compelling insights from guest interviews. We're here to inspire and empower your conscious evolution, help you tap into your inner wisdom and rise to your heart-centered higher self. Together, we can rise to a higher level of consciousness, an elevated state of being, and experience more love, joy, and freedom. Welcome back, Heart-Centered Soul. Thank you for joining me again for another episode of the Hearts Rise Up podcast. I'm Carol Chapman, your host, and I'm delighted to have a wonderful guest with me today. His name is Greg Whiting. Let me tell you a little bit about Greg. Greg helps you heal the anxiety, depression, and chronic pain and trauma you can't think or talk your way out of. He is the founder of Prisma a framework overlaying trauma, neuroscience, and energy medicine with somatic and mindfulness-based practices. He developed this method while healing his own anxiety, depression, and chronic pain rooted in trauma. This included unraveling a severe spinal curvature and standing three inches taller today. Over the last two decades, Greg has helped thousands heal through his one-on-one practice and has certified hundreds of healthcare professionals in his methodology. His new online course and community now make healing practical and accessible to all. Greg, a warm welcome to the show. Thanks, Carol. Happy to be here. Great to have you. And before we get started, I have one brief question for you. How is your heart today? Uh, My heart's feeling full. Yeah, I've had a morning with clients, which always is just really nourishing and It's a beautiful sunny day here in San Francisco and looking forward to the weekend. Awesome. Well, over the course of your life, you've had an incredible journey of anxiety and depression and pain that really kind of culminated into a life-changing experience for you at some point in your life, suffering severe burnout. I'd love for you to share your personal story around this and share how you brought yourself back to wholeness. Sure. Yeah, I was working in the nonprofit world and I was really passionate about my work and just felt really aligned with a sense of purpose. But I realized in my mission to save the world, so to speak, I was really destroying myself. And, you know, I was in a leadership position. I was running a team of sometimes upward of 20 or 30 people and then managing kind of other groups of people. And I just felt like I was losing myself. We were actually doing really good work and experiencing really good wins with legislation. But when we lose ourselves, there are no wins. You know, I just came to this place of just feeling really empty inside. At the time, I had already been introduced to the world of energy medicine. So I was in the early phases of a healing practice. But reaching kind of that burnout was really 
kind of a turning point where I realized I needed to look under the hood and better examine and understand the mechanisms at play that were really amplifying a lifetime of chronic pain and exaggerating the anxiety and depression that I'd already been carrying. And that led me to just starting to understand the unresolved trauma that was beneath all of my pain. And also realized that a lot of traditional approaches to healing were not necessarily well equipped to address the residue of trauma as it was stored in my body and lending itself to my pain. So that led me on quite a journey, you know, that my work in energy medicine then introduced me to the world of mindfulness. And I spent a good nine months in India and exploring deeper into somatics and how to release stored stress and tension in the body to really start to create the climate for more of a relaxed, alert awareness. You know, I think it's really hard for a lot of folks just to sit in meditation because we're carrying so, so much pain inside our physical bodies. And then that led me to the world of trauma and neuroscience. I started to kind of teach energy medicine and somatics and mindfulness. And one of my first students when I moved here to San Francisco over nine years ago, she said, you know, you're teaching a trauma-informed approach to healing. And at that point, I didn't even have that term trauma-informed in my vocabulary. I knew I was kind of intuitively healing my own trauma, but she was a therapist and a professor at the California Institute of Integral Studies. And so she invited me to become her teacher's assistant. And that's where I deepened into kind of an understanding of trauma and neuroscience. So I've been reverse engineering how I kind of intuitively have pieced all of these practices and wisdoms together and have been sharing them to create more of a system, a seven-step system to help make healing just more accessible for folks because healing could be a long and windy road. It could be a bumpy road. So my work helps to make it a little less long, a little less windy, a little less bumpy. Well, that's absolutely uh, wonderful to hear. I think it would be interesting to share how you define trauma mm -hmm. and how does one know that they have deeply rooted trauma? Because I think in today's world, people avoid it and they kind of suppress it and they don't want to face it. And so they think they don't have any trauma that they're dealing with. Then there's the people who are the exact opposite, and then some people that are in between. So it'd be helpful to understand how you define trauma, and then how does one kind of know that they have trauma that's deeply rooted, and how do they uproot it or deal with it? You know, I think most people have an awareness of acute trauma. I am the victim of violence or of sexual assault, or I was in a war zone or a refugee. So there is this acute experience that is a traumatic event. And so I think that's what most people think of as trauma. Right, right. There's also chronic, you know, so there's acute, chronic, and complex trauma. Some would argue that what we experienced with the pandemic was chronic, right? This long-standing pattern of difficulty, right? And oftentimes you can define trauma as any lived experience that was just too overwhelming, too much for us to fully process and metabolize and make sense of. So in some cases, that's too much too soon, too much for too long, or sometimes not enough for too long. And that can often be the case in complex trauma, which is often in early development, where a lot of folks I work with, a lot of my clients and students, yeah, they don't identify with having trauma. They say, well, nothing bad happened to me. 
but maybe not enough of the good things happened in terms of reliable, consistent care from our primary caregivers. So if we're not able to know that we can reliably and consistently get our developmental needs met, that's going to signal to our body and our brain and our nervous system that our life is maybe at threat, right? If we're not going to get our basic needs met, that could signal alarm. And that will start to plant seeds within the body and the brain and nervous system that we're not safe Mm. and that nobody has our back. And so that then sets up dynamics of hypervigilance and hyperindependence, which then become trauma responses. So I think that's more of the insidious pattern of trauma where, again, nothing bad happened to us, but it's like, well, but we actually didn't get our basic needs met. So the right climate to feel safe and secure was not established. Why aren't, and maybe I'm wrong about this, maybe this is emerging, but why aren't more traditional types of therapy and therapists accessing this type of healing that you have learned and that you've been using for some time now? Because so many people are dealing with a lot of things and they're taking a lot of drugs to deal with anxiety and depression and that sort of thing, which doesn't seem to help that much. You know, I think there's a big shift in our culture and people are growing in an awareness that trauma doesn't just take place in the brain it takes up residence within the body and so i think there is a growing awareness of somatic based body based healing as very necessary with that there just is some pain that we can't think or talk our way through and don't get me wrong i think therapy can be tremendously valuable And I think everything has its place and its limitation. So I think it's valuable to then start to draw upon tools and wisdoms and traditions that can help us access beyond the mind, how we can bypass the mind to access healing. And I also think pain and symptom management are sometimes necessary. I think we have also, again, grown in a culture where that's often what we know. And as a kid, when I was suffering from chronic ear infections and strep throat, there's nothing more I wanted than to go to a doctor, take a pill and feel better, right? So that's like how many of us are raised. But in terms of mental health, a lot of people are treating chemical imbalance with medication as if the chemical imbalance is the cause of anxiety or depression. And then it doesn't really create the space to understand that trauma and you know childhood attachment wounding is often beneath mental health challenges. I don't even like to use the word mental illness because I think that has stigma attached to it. And I I think that what we are labeling as mental illness are actually trauma responses. And I would argue that they are healthy responses to an unhealthy environment. Mm. But when we label it mental illness, then we're stigmatizing the individual as if something is bad and wrong with the individual So then let's treat the individual, let's treat the chemical imbalance without actually looking at, well, maybe what's going on in their brain and their body and their nervous system is actually very reasonable if we were to actually look at the lived experience. That's a big reorientation for sure. Definitely, because I think a lot of the traditional research that is out there that suggests that when you're going through these types of 
ailments that it's really more of a chemical imbalance in the brain. And it's just easy enough to just address it with giving you a pill to try to correct it. When there's more deeply rooted things that are occurring on different levels based on our environment or byproduct of the environment, how do you explain that just in terms of moving from this focus of a chemical imbalance and I can't control this to I can control it? Sure. You know, I think regulating the nervous system is a big piece. You know, I think of like a seaplane that wants to land on water and it touches down and then it bounces up. It touches down, it bounces up. It takes time for that seaplane to finally land. And so a big piece is understanding what is driving the nervous system and starting to understand how when we lose access to our upper brain of logic and reason, how we will default to a survival brain, right? And if we move into hyperarousal, that's going to be our fight or flight response. If those responses aren't readily available based on circumstance or conditioning, then we'll revert to hypoarousal, which is the freeze or appease or the freeze and fawn response. So starting to understand and then look at the emotions and the, you know, the origins of some of these patternings. So, so we can start to lend to some repair, right? We could start to process the emotional impact organized around these trauma responses. Realize that we are not our trauma responses, and this is a slow process to slowly help massage the, um, not literally massage, but figuratively massage the nervous system to settle. Hmm. And that's the baseline where we can start to develop psychological safety and trust to kind of elaborate on just the definition of trauma, just any lived experience where we felt isolated, alone, and unsafe, where we felt at threat and lacked support. Because we can go through a pretty painful experience, but if we have support on our side and we don't imprint that experience in isolation, then it doesn't calcify as PTSD. Our system's able to process it. It's like, wow, that was intense. That was life or death. But I realize now I'm okay. So then we're not carrying the imprint of that experience forward. Mm. And so a lot of the work with mindfulness is really helping us do the necessary mind training to realize that we are not our experience, right? So we may have been through a traumatic event or a traumatic experience, but that's not who we are. So it's helping us to reorient from pain to possibility and also start to dissolve the identification we have around pain or wounding. Because if we've been harboring pain for some time, we start to carry it through the costuming of our body, the masks we wear, the behaviors and the beliefs that are organized around it. And we start to conflate those behaviors and those beliefs and that costuming with who we are, which is not true. We are not our wounding. And so the mindfulness piece is big there. And then the energy medicine component, which I think is really a valuable a piece of healing is really helping to address the imprints of trauma as they're stored in the body. The function of energy medicine is, one, helping to regulate the nervous system, two, calm the cardiovascular system, three, strengthen immune system function. But I love the imagery of a symphony orchestra. So when we're experiencing health and balance, all the different parts of the orchestra are communicating, 
right? And so mm-hmm. Within the body, those parts are, say, our heart, our emotions, our thoughts, our neurotransmitters, our hormones, our immune system, nervous system. But when we experience stress or trauma, the communication between all those parts starts to break up. And it's like we get short-circuited, the nervous system gets flooded, and all of a sudden, instead of being this symphony orchestra making music, that communication breaks down and we start to make a lot of noise. So the function of energy medicine is to break up that noise, and really that noise is the expression of our symptoms and our illness. You know, that noise is the stagnation that occurs when trauma imprints in the body, and that's starting to create our chronic inflammation our hormonal imbalance, compromising the immune system. It's creating our brain fog. It's creating that high blood pressure. It's creating that tension, you know, that knot in our stomach and the suffocated heaviness in our chest. So energy medicine is helping to break up that noise and return us back to that musicality of being. Mm. All of this is very very real in terms of just the ailments and what people experience in the body. What's the best approach to heal the anxiety or the depression or the chronic pain and eliminate the need for drugs, which may or may not really be helping that much? Yeah. When I'm working with my clients, and I have a psychiatrist that refers lots of patients to me, to his credit, uh, he had a patient of his that he was able to remove her from all of her medications but he didn't have much of an explanation as to why. So he inquired if she was doing anything different. And she said she was working with me. She said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm exploring energy medicine, somatics and mindfulness, and that's helping me heal. To his credit, he reached out and we had a phone conversation. And now I'm one of his referral partners. So when he realizes that people have complex trauma and PTSD, While he may be helping to mitigate their symptoms, their pain, their anxiety, and their depression with medication, because that's how he works through medication, he realizes that, wow, there is an opportunity to heal beneath the surface. So if people's anxiety, depression, trauma is, you know, chronic pain is the tip of the iceberg. Mm. Yeah. Pain and symptom management is really just treating the tip of the iceberg where working with energy medicine, somatics, and mindfulness is addressing all the causative factors that are beneath the surface. And I think the function of how I work with all these practices is just helping people reconnect to their innate wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as much as I help people who have trauma, I actually don't spend too much time talking or focusing on trauma. We're not dredging up memories. Oh, I love that. You know, the essence of healing is just reconnecting to that innate wisdom. And for those that that term may be new, it was developed in chiropractic, gosh, decades ago. That's good. It's likened to if we get a paper cut, there is some healing mechanism or intelligence within our body that orchestrates the healing response and it will send the platelets and the proteins and all these biochemical transmissions. So that paper cut is healing while you and I are having this conversation, while I had my breakfast this morning, while I worked with clients this morning, while I slept last night. Mm -hmm. So that healing mechanism, you know, healed the paper cut without me thinking about it, without me talking about it. And so That's, I think, the energy medicine as it breaks up that noise and it restores that communication. We just become more aligned with our innate wisdom. Healing just happens. That's where our system can optimize its performance. And 
we build this deeper and more robust connection to ourselves. Because I think of, you know, trauma or any pain symptom that we're medicating is we may feel we need that support because we are lacking some of our own capacity to heal internally. Mm-hmm. And again, with that said, as much as I have many clients that come to me and I've helped hundreds reduce or eliminate their dependence on pain meds, antidepressants, you know, anxiety meds to each their own, right? I honor that depending on each person's lived experience, that their dependence on medication, you know, pain and symptom management becomes sometimes necessary depending on where folks are in their journey. Yeah, over time, as we restore our connection to our innate wisdom, folks get to re-examine their relationship to their medications and how necessary they are. I love how you said how we have this innate wisdom and we have, once we really kind of tap into our true nature, anything is possible, which I think is amazing how not only are we able to heal a paper cut fast, but also unravel the spinal curvature in your body. How are you able to do that? Well, I look at as much as the scoliosis very much is presenting physically. I look at the emotional, energetic components, the hereditary components is all linked and all reflections of one another. You know, and a lot of folks would say, well, you come into the world with scoliosis, that's genetic, hereditary, you can't heal that. I've been told more times than not that unraveling my spine to the degree that I have is impossible. And yet over the years, I've met, you know, a handful of other people that have a similar experience. And so one way that I help clients and students kind of understand the body is that all the different parts of the body hold different qualities of consciousness. The skeletal system and the spine and the bones are kind of the framework we hold around life. So we can carry a life framework. And you can see that, you know, you, we all have a friend that just has the most positive outlook on life, right? So they have this life framework that they just see potential and possibility and the cup is always half full. And then there's some of us that, you know, we have a very different life framework. My life framework, when it was organized around pain and trauma, was very much cup half empty and very much harboring the emotional component around pain and wounding, which was the world is not safe, it's dangerous, I'm in danger, I have to protect and guard. So those emotions then started to create the posturing and the physical expression of the emotional, right? If I'm going to geek out on this a little more, the connective tissue and fascia is what holds the bones and the muscles together. The connective tissue and fascia is also where we store trauma and emotions. Mm, Right. So if what is holding my bones and muscles together is these imprints of trauma around wounding, then my musculoskeletal system is going to reflect that. So when I was hunched over in chronic pain, This was all the guarding and the fear and the heart protection. And as I started to heal the emotional components, again, working with energy medicine, so a tool that can heal the emotional components as it's stored in the body, then that began to dissolve, shed, integrate. So then I was no longer carrying the costuming of guarding and fear and protection. So then my whole life framework got to restructure, reorganize, and I became more aligned with my innate wisdom, which had a recognition that oh, I'm no longer in danger. I'm okay. This quality of okayness is, I think, what we 
cultivate and nourish and circulate in healing, a sense of okayness. And life will still throw curveballs and can be a bumpy road, but can we develop a sense of, I'll be okay, I'll be able to navigate whatever comes my way. Right. I mean, I think that's what more and more people need right now is to be able to get into that state of innate well-being where they know that everything that's in the background or the foreground is okay because the universe has our back. But we just so caught up in the global and even local stuff that is happening and allow it to affect us. Share a little bit more about trauma, how it's affecting people in terms of living and leading their lives and how it's affecting the world and what they can do to navigate through it with that kind of okayness. You know, I think right now we are seeing a world that is really fueled by alienation and isolation and fear and division. So it's very much kind of a breeding ground for trauma. An unconscious attempt to heal trauma is to reenact it. So it's like we re-wound ourselves in an attempt to heal the original wound, which that can sound all doom and gloom. And however, the way I'm looking at the world today is that the pain and the wounding of generations past and our generation today is kind of for all eyes to see, right? It's out in the open. No, generations past, you know, that wounding was like put into the recesses, into the corners, you know, and I think there's a growing awareness around trauma and healing, which is part of it. And I'd imagine technology is supporting that too, again, for better and for worse. But I look at, we have to see the wounding in order to heal it. So I'm holding the possibility that despite how broken the world appears, that us seeing the brokenness is actually how we bring in a deeper understanding of its wholeness. I look at my own journey, and that's a precarious act. You know, that's a delicate journey because I think trauma can actually destroy us or it can lead to great triumph. And that's all dependent upon if we have the right tools and resources and support. And again, that's the beauty I see that on social media, let's say, there's so many therapists and healers and just conversations like this happening. So it's bringing more awareness to how we can gather support to navigate wounding. And I don't think we've ever seen that to the degree that we have now. And that's carrying that tension. I think we're seeing more support and possibility present while we're seeing more of the wounding present. But I think that could be the perfect storm for a whole lot of transformation. And I just think of my own unique journey and why I think I can hold that vision is because 25 years ago, I was experiencing what I thought was insurmountable pain that I thought there was no way out of, right? And having experienced that arc of transformation myself, I I know it's possible. And so now I hold that vision for the collective. And that's why I'm really inspired to work with leaders, because I think if nothing else, as leaders, we can become vessels of healing and we can help to regulate the collective nervous system. So if we are working in leadership from a place of healing our own wounds, we can carry that torch in the greater world. Right. I think you're referring to leaders as anyone who is taking accountability for their own well-being and also sharing what they're learning so that we can really kind of transcend into a new kind of way of being or a new world for those who are ready for it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think to embark on a healing path takes courage, it takes grit, it takes guts. 
in doing so, we access more agency and more presence. And I think that's what heals the world, presence, a sense of our capacity to be, be ourselves. Absolutely. This is an incredible story because it's all based on your experience, what you have learned, tried and proven with yourself and with others over time. I would love for you to share a little bit more about the Prisma method and the community and the course that you've just launched that really is designed to help take this to a whole new level so that others have access to it. Can you share a bit more about that? Sure. Yeah, the course itself is an eight-week online course that folks have forever access to. The first module explains trauma foundations, kind of where we started our conversation. So let's just understand trauma and let's track where it's showing up in our lives, where it maybe has originated from. And then the seven modules thereafter are the seven Prisma Pillars, which starts with nervous system regulation embodiment, you know, like a bird that flies into the window and drops to the ground, it's just frozen. It's just in shock, right? So embodiment is thawing off the shock that helps us then feel ourselves, which affords us presence and agency. Attunement is the emotional attunement, you know, emotional intelligence. Orientation is helping us shift from fear-based and pain-based motivation to that which we're inspired to move towards. Narration is really flipping the script on the regressive behaviors, beliefs, and the stories we tell organized around wounding to shift to a possibility consciousness to really expand the aperture of our vision. And then identity is really shifting the identity constructs that are often fixed and rigid and hard organized around wounding to experience that who we are is change, is dynamic process. And we're not fixed by any lived one lived experience. And then impact is the final pillar. And that's really understanding how we can mine the gold of unresolved trauma to live in purpose and how purpose is really an emanation of being. It's who we are, not what we do. And so shifting from extrinsic motivation to intrinsic motivation. Oh, beautiful. The seven pillars are kind of the foundation of the online course. And I call that kind of the trauma and neuroscience roadmap the pillars of the drop pins on the map to help people orient to where they are and where they're headed on their healing. So I know I was in therapy for years and I knew I was on the right track, but I didn't know where I was going or where I was, right? So helping people get their bearings straight. And then the somatic and mindfulness piece, I offer guided meditations for over a year three times a month. And that is the mind training to shift from pain to possibility and dissolve that identification with wounding. It's one thing to learn these practices, but to embody them it helps us to land inside ourselves from a new place. And then the energy medicine component. I have an entire energy medicine Reiki school that is delivered over nine one-day retreats throughout the year. And the energy medicine is really that vehicle that is helping us you know, work through the subterranean patterns of trauma stored in the body so we can break up that inflammation, break up that noise, and really have a practical and accessible tool for healing. Wow. You're doing some incredible stuff. I love the fact that you're getting it out to more and more people in this course format and the, the different modules that you have and the pillars, as well as the community that you're building. How can people find out more about you? Sure. BregWhiting.com. And that's where, you know, I have limited space. I do still work with some clients one-on-one, -on -one, but yeah, mostly that's where folks can also learn about 
the Prisma course and community. And it really starts with a phone call. As much as I want to make this accessible to as many people, it's intimate work. So we have a phone conversation to get a sense of where you're at, where you'd like to be, and determine if we can do some really good work together. You know, I'm all about just setting up win-wins. So if there's a different practitioner that can offer better support, I'm going to send you there. But if I have the right tools to support an arc of transformation, then I'll invite you on board. Oh, sounds awesome. And I've got the links for the different programs that you have, and we'll put that in our show notes along with the links to your website and the course. We do have an affiliate coupon code there for anyone who is interested in your programs as well that will give them a discount, at least on their first program, which is a nice plus. Any words of insight that is coming through that you would like to share with all of our listeners here? Healing is a commitment to defy odds. You know, the lie of trauma tells us we can't, and the truth of healing is we can. And so I'm always inviting folks to get clear on what they want. And sometimes when we're in the trenches of trauma, we can't look out at the horizon of possibility. And so if we're not sure what is on that horizon, what would you like that horizon to feel like? Start to tune into that and let that feeling, let that vibration help tether you to that which you're inspired to move towards and really keep that at the forefront of your awareness. Revisit that every day because that's your why, right? And that becomes a powerful force for you to lean into your commitment. And at the end of the day, this is the greatest commitment we can make to ourselves. Absolutely. It's finding that internal guidance system and following it and making that commitment. I want to thank you so much for joining me today, Greg. I know we need to wrap this up, but thank you for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. I really enjoyed connecting with you, Carol. Thank you. All righty. And for all of you out there, our heart-centered listener, thank you for joining us today. And until next time, keep your heart rising up. Bye for now. We hope today's show helped to bring a bit more joy and happiness into your heart. We hope it inspired you to unleash your inner power and rise up to your best and loving heart-centered highest self. We'd be grateful if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews are important to spreading this valuable message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and share the show with others. Visit heartsriseup.com for heart-centered courses, guided meditations, and our popular notes from your higher self. Until next time, keep rising up and may all that you love thrive.